Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm very excited for this episode. I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of a fangirl of Liz Moody's. I found her. I love to say I found her, like I discovered but I discovered her existence, not discovered her. When I was doing this amazing recipe for like chocolate covered dates that I found on Goop because there was a moment where I was like doing all the Goop recipes. I was like, I cannot do a recipe that isn't Goop. I'm in my health era. And I found Liz's recipe and I was like, so obsessed with the recipe. This has actually never happened that I was so obsessed with the recipe that I looked her up. And then I was like obsessed with her and started following her on my food Instagram, don't expect salads and have been kind of following her ever since. I don't like follow that many people on my food Instagram. So whoever I do follow pops up all the time and Liz always popped up. And I even took a page out of her notebook. And when I turned, I think it was 29 maybe, or maybe 30, I wrote one of her lists. She writes these lists every year of like 30 things that I learned, you know, on my 30th birthday or 30 things I want to share with you on my 30th. So I did one of those and it was so much fun to write. And hers are great. If you don't follow her, shoot her a follow. It was really nice to meet her. Obviously, she was doing like a million press things. And usually I don't like to have someone on the podcast who's on like a podcast tour because I'm like... I want it to be unique. You know, I don't want you hearing her on this other podcast you're also listening to. But I will say I was so excited that her team reached out that I don't care because I just wanted to talk to her and I wanted to talk to her about different things. Like everyone else is talking about only wellness. I want to talk about dating. I want to talk about all the things. So I think that you're going to really enjoy what she has to say. And I'm really excited for you to hear the episode. Before we get into it, I'm going to answer a few of your questions And then we'll get right into it. Someone asked, what has surprised you most about pregnancy so far? Honestly, so far, it has been generally okay. I guess I'm most surprised by the pain that I feel. This isn't, I'm not saying this is normal for everyone. Don't be scared. You might have an amazing experience. I hope you do. I've had a lot of round ligament pain. If you want to Google what that is, I can't really tell you I'm not a doctor, but it's like my body is growing and my uterus is growing and everything's growing to like fit this baby into my organs and whatever. And along the way, I've had some pain and sometimes this pain is really bad. And 
it's getting increasingly hard to sleep. I'm now in my third trimester, which is absolutely insane. So yeah, that pain has been a little surprising. And I just am amazed by women, really. I just am so fucking amazed by women. I feel like once you are pregnant, you understand women a little bit more who have kids because you're like, you really, you went through it, honey. Someone asked how often you should see and sleep over, see see slash sleep over with long-term significant other when you don't live together. So this is like a golden period before you move in with your significant other. And I know if you're in this and dying to get to the place where you move in together, you're not going to feel this way. Just like the people who are waiting for a ring who don't have it yet are also not going to feel this way, right? They're not. But imagine that this is the person that you're with for the rest of your life. You will never live alone again. Like you need to understand that. I am literally going on a solo weekend trip in a few weeks because I was like, holy shit, I'm never going to be alone again. Like forget even living with, with, with Steven, I'm, there's going to be a baby all the time. So you really have to savor these moments before they're gone. Like they are fleeting moments. And I know it sounds like it might even sound patronizing, but I'm telling you, don't do it too often. Don't have sleepovers every night. If you don't live together, you will appreciate that you appreciated your alone time after you move in together. So I would say, I don't know, three or four nights a week maximum. I just feel like if you're doing more than that, then just, then just move in together. Like, why are you paying so much rent individually? Just move in. Somebody said etiquette for buying gifts off baby registry, how many items to buy and how much to spend. I will argue that that this isn't really like a wedding registry in that nobody and, and like no one should expect no matter what, but nobody expects you to get them a baby gift. They're thrilled when you do, but it's not an expectation. And if it is like, I don't know what's wrong with them, but I personally would not expect that. And therefore I think that the etiquette is like you spend as much as you want, but it is important that if you do want to get a gift for someone and they have a baby registry, like for someone's baby, you know, and they have a registry, use the registry. If they don't have a registry, then like it's a free for all. They're getting what they're getting because they don't have a registry. But if they do have a registry, you should get something off their registry and you should spend as much as you fucking want. Like I have items on my registry that are $20 and I don't care if someone buys them. Like I would be thrilled. I would be like, that is so nice that you even wanted to spend 20 bucks. Like, you know, having said that, like my registry, my baby registry is mostly for my parents, friends. I don't expect friends to buy me baby gifts. If they do, it's so wonderful, but it's not an expectation. So don't, don't overthink it. How to share finances when traveling. Do you Venmo each other for flights and hotels? Well, we have our own, like we have a card that's for the two of us. So no, we use that card. But before we were married, I guess we did. Yeah, we we split hotels and flights. Yeah, so one of us would pay and the other one would Venmo or like Zelle or whatever. That's how we did it. And 
nothing wrong with that. If you can split it, you should split it. If the guy wants to pay, don't argue, let him pay. Okay, this is a big one that a lot of people wanted me to talk about. A few weeks ago, Stephen and his friend, he's with two friends, two girls, I think, went up to them on the street and one of the girls recognized Stephen from, I guess, like my Instagram or whatever. And she was like, oh my God, I'm such a fan of your wife's podcast. Congratulations on the baby, like the pregnancy or whatever. And like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Steven's friend who was single was with him at the time. His friend lives in LA. They started talking. They were like, oh, you know, where are you from? And the girl was from the girl that like had complimented or whatever was from Brentwood, like in Los Angeles. So they were like, oh my God, like we're both from LA, whatever. Then Steven's friend forgot to like, just didn't make the move to ask for her number, but he regretted it after. So he was like, we got to find her. Will you help me? Will you post something? So I posted something and I was like, Hey, if you're the girl that went up to Steven and his friends in Soho, um, let me know. Like he really wants to get your number. And then it became this like rom-com that a lot of people were invested in, in my DMS. Like, has she said anything yet? She didn't say anything for the first day I posted again. I was like, I think your name might be Sarah. Like, let me know. And lo and behold, she did get in touch. Her name is Sarah. She lives in Brentwood. However, she's not single, but she did say she was like, I have a boyfriend, but I'm always open to making new friends. If you like want to share my information or something. And then I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, I'm, I I don't know, maybe that was naive of me to think. And Steven was like, Steven and his friend were both like, oh, she's open. Like she's down to get to know me. She definitely is not like a hundred percent about her relationship. And I was like, what do you mean? And if you're listening to this, Sarah, I didn't think this, they thought this, they were like, you know, like, it's so obvious. I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, well, like Steven was like, if you had said that, like if someone was like hitting on you and they were like, can I get your number? And I had said to them, I'm, you know, I'm married, but I'm always looking to make new friends. He was like, I would be so pissed. Like, that's so crazy. It's different if someone like approaches you as a friend first and is like, oh, like would love to pick your brain about work, you know, but like if someone clearly hits on you and then instead of fully rejecting them, you say something like would love to make new friends. It implies that you are open. I don't know. I'm so curious what you guys think. I'll have to make a poll on this at some point. And I just realized we're over the 10 minute mark. And I do really want you to hear Liz. I have the rest of your questions that you submitted and I'm going to answer them on next week's solo before the episode. Next week is a great episode. I almost aired it today. Couldn't decide, went back and forth. It is mostly about in-laws, two people in a relationship being on different timelines and just being confident in a relationship. So I think you're going to love it, but I think you're also going to love this and I hope you enjoy Liz. We need to talk about Taylor's re-release of 1989 because I was a little disappointed in style. It sounded like kids bop. Like I thought it was beginning and becoming kids bop. And it annoyed me because I feel like style is an important song. Style's obviously about Harry Styles. Duh. It's actually crazy that that's his last name. But anyway, my point being, I love Taylor, but she really shouldn't be messing with style. And speaking of style, she has been rocking 
a very unique style of her own recently because she's been literally in the press every single day. And one thing that I've noticed is her cowboy boots. I have finally gotten a collection of cowboy boots and I could not be happier with my collection thanks to Tacovas. If you don't know what Tacovas is, then obviously you don't own cowboy boots because they are the number one place to get your cowboy boots. Like if you're wearing them to a football game, if you're wearing them to a tailgate, if you're wearing them on Halloween, which now has passed, but it's never too late to dress up. And you really ought to try Tacovas boots. They're handcrafted. And every pair is quality made to help keep you in a personal style that's all your own for others to admire. They have vintage denim, and then they have more formal, like if you want to wear them to a wedding, a beautiful fall wedding. Amazing. It's really incredible. I have the Sadie boot and the Jamie boot, but you really cannot go wrong. I would not lead you astray. When comfort leads, confidence follows and Tacovas delivers both right to your door. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently all season long. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with the host of the Liz Moody podcast and the author of 100 Ways to Change Your Life, Liz Moody. Hi. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. So we'll start with the question that I always ask my guests first, which is what is your favorite romantic gesture? My favorite romantic gesture is anything that feels really intentional. I like to feel super seen and thought of. So I always said, even with like my proposal, I didn't care if it was public or private or where it was. I wanted it to just feel like me. And like, it wasn't something that he woke up one day and decided to do, that it was something that was like thought through, planned out, et cetera. So anything that you like put thought into and it's Liz Moody themed, I'm very into. My husband planned an anniversary for us once where I asked him ahead of time, I said, after years, years of being disappointed by our anniversary, because I wanted him to make a Liz Moody themed day, but I'd never actually communicated that to him. Right, right. So he was like, oh, we like go out to dinner, whatever, happy anniversary. So I finally communicated it. And he was like, thank you so much for that information. I'm going to plan an amazing day for us. And he planned a day where we went stand up paddle boarding, which is one of my absolute favorite things to do. And then we went to a baby goat farm where we cuddled baby goat. (laughs) And there's like, they're climbing all over me. And then we went to a Michelin starred Indian restaurant, which is one of my favorite types of food. Wait, the Sema? No, it was in, it was in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yum. But it was incredible. And it just, every component felt very me themed. Mm -hmm. I love that. Was that a very Leo answer? (laughs) Like, well, I know I literally was going to say you're such a Leo. But something that I loved from your book that I also talk about, it's like you set him up to win, which is what everyone needs to be doing with their partners. Like, I I don't know how I always will hear from someone being like, oh, my God, my birthday was horrible. He didn't even get me a card. Like a card was the only thing I wanted. He got me again. He got me that, but he didn't even get me a card. And I'm like, did he know that that was important to you? Like, or that that's the way that you like love expressed. Right. I was talking about this with a friend who got into a relationship recently back during Valentine's Day and she wanted her Valentine's Day with this new partner celebrated in a very specific way, but she'd never expressed that to him. 
And I was like, you need to tell him this. You need to give him the tools that he needs to succeed. Right. And then if he still doesn't do it, then maybe you can get pissed. But our partners want to please us, but they're not psychic. And I think it's so important to remember that pleasing somebody doesn't mean reading their mind. Totally. And it's like, it doesn't have to be this like crazy expensive thing. Like I, my birthday just passed and I said to my husband, I was like, I would love, we were in California actually. And I was like, I would love to wake up today to like some sort of surprise, like Mm -hmm. anything. And it literally could have been anything. It doesn't even have to be like, you know, something that's expensive. And he had flowers like to surprise me. And that was perfect, you know? Well, and did it detract from the surprise in any way that no. you asked for? And I think that's what people are worried about. They're like, if he really loved me, he would come up with it on its own. And it's like, why isn't the proof that they're carrying through on it? That should be the proof of the love. Yeah. The only time I don't necessarily want, not that I don't want to set them up to win, but like for my proposal, when he proposed, like I didn't want to tell him too much of what to do because I was like, I think he can, you know, we'll see what he can do. What did he do? He did like something great. It was very, you know, me. Like, you know, I had given him little hints along the way. Like I was like, I would love for my family to be there after. But like in the moment just to be us, like it to be, you know, somewhere that's special to us. But like other than that, you know. I also think that likely by the time you're getting engaged, you've had many conversations about what marriage looks like, what engagement looks like, like all of these things. They don't need to be directly about yours, but you've probably broached and hopefully you've broached the subject. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Backing up a little bit, just to hear more about you for our listeners who don't know you, how old are you and where are you from? I am 37 years old and the where I'm from is a little bit more complex. I've been living nomadically for the last three years, but I lived in New York City, London and the Bay Area before that. I hear a little like almost like Southern. Huh. Have you ever gotten that? No. When I was a kid, I grew up in Arizona till I was 14. And my teachers all thought I had a Brooklyn accent because my mom's yeah. from Brooklyn. And I guess I took that on. So maybe I'm just I have a malleable accent. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I would love I can I can try to do something. <laughs> <laughs> Offend pie. everybody. <laughs> and how did you and your partner meet? We met at a bar and we were both in college and I spotted him from across the bar. And I was like, that guy is so cute. And I was a little toasty, a little bit drunk. And so I tried to get all of my friends to go hit on him because I thought that was just a better path, both male and female. I was like, you go hit on him, you go hit on him. And they were like, we're not going to go hit on the guy that you're interested in across the bar. So eventually I did it. And I had invited like 30 people back to my house that night so that I could have an excuse to have him over. And then we were just making out on the balcony. And my friend who is there with us would like come out on the balcony occasionally and be like, Liz, they're breaking things. And I'd be like, no, you go handle it. You go handle it. But yeah, we've been together ever since. And that was 15 years ago. Wow. And when is his birthday? His birthday is January 20th. Okay, so is that a Capricorn or Aquarius? Aquarius. So we're okay. opposite signs. So right. either we're going to have the best sex ever or we're absolutely going to hate each other's guts. <laughs> yeah. Which which one does it which <laughs> does it lean, lean towards? <laughs> so I would I would say that it's interesting that I do think in our relationship there's a lot of like high highs and some low lows, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think and our low lows aren't 
you know, egregiously low, but I do feel like we have that like fiery and sadder, not sadder, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's either really good or sometimes really mm-hmm. bad. But also that could be my own mind because I over dramatize everything. Yeah. Well, you guys have also been together for so long. Yeah. I, in one of your podcasts, you had mentioned like he like had tried to break up with you once or something. Yes. <laughs> and I remember listening to that and I was like, wait, that's like not okay. But then I realized you guys have been together for, you were infants, like yes, when you first started we were dating. Tiny babies. If I was dating anyone at that point that I was still with today, like our history would not have been as like clean as it was with my husband who I met much later. I used to be really jealous of people who met their partners later in life because you're more fully formed as a person. You know what your beliefs are. You know what your desires are. You can express that and you can find a partner who's a match for that. And Zach and I have really had to grow together and we've been very lucky that it's worked out as well as it has. But I've come to terms with the fact that we have all of these shared memories, all of these shared experiences. And I'm now feeling really lucky for that. When I was younger, I desperately wished I could have met him when I was like 30. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the grass is always greener in that case. I also feel like that's And I'm planning to do an episode on this soon, but like that's why it's so much harder to meet someone when you're 30 plus because you're like, you know what you want. Yeah, I know what I want. I'm fully formed. And I don't have the patience to like wait for some guy to become the guy that he's going to become. I actually think that that's a danger, not of dating in like your 30s, 40s, or even 50s, but I have friends of all different ages. And I will say my friends in like their 60s, 70s have a harder time dating, not because there's not people out there, but because they love their routines mm-hmm. exactly the way that they are. And for me, I didn't have any routine, so I wasn't having to compromise. And I think it's something to be aware of as we get older is that dating and living your life with a person comes with these compromises because you're living your life with another person. And the older we get, that becomes a little trickier. So it's definitely something to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. And I just feel like people are just so much more tolerable when they're young because <laughs> because they have like their own shit too. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. That they haven't like really, you know, grasped. But dating like a grown up, I don't know. I just, I think, I think there's, same with like, I think there's value to both. I'm I'm so happy with some of the friends that I've had since my teens, since my 20s. But I also have that sigh of relief, that breath of fresh air when I make a new friend now, because mm-hmm. I feel like that person is reflecting the self that I want to see myself as now back at me. Yeah. And that's a really nice feeling. Who do you feel more comfortable being honest with, your older friends or your newer friends? It's so friend to friend. Yeah. I feel like everybody has those friends that are like, middle of the night phone call friends, your comfy, cozy friends. I am in, I always get this wrong. I'm an extroverted introvert. So Mm -hmm. I can like come and turn it on and I love it. But then I really am drained of energy and I need those people that I can just curl up on the couch and say nothing with. And when I'm thinking of those friends, I'd say they're like within the last six, seven years, Mm -hmm. but definitely enough time that we've developed that intimacy. I do think that There's a tip in the book about how repeated exposure is a really key part of developing intimacy. And sometimes we're disappointed when we meet somebody and right away we need it to click. And this is why I always recommend people go out on two dates at least. And same with friendships. You should see somebody a few times before you're like, oh, this is my person or this is not my person and writing them off. Uh, So I do think you need enough time of that repeated exposure to develop that intimacy literally from a scientific perspective. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And 
Your, so the first time I discovered who you are was because I was on Goop and I had looked up a recipe. It was the recipe for the date, like it was like chocolate covered dates or something. Okay. And it was, it was your recipe. Yeah. And I was obsessed with it. And I was like, oh, who is this? Like, and I looked you up and I was like, she's like got amazing, incredible recipes. And since then, I feel like you've become more of like a lifestyle voice and like just, you know, have everything that you share, I feel resonates with me in some way. I'm curious how you kind of got to that point of like, first of all, how you got started, like how you got on a Goop type of website and all of the things. Goop is a funny one because Gwyneth sent me an email and I was like, wait, what? Is this from Gwyneth Paltrow? <laughs> and I looked up the email and it was like a private email that the only other indication of it online was from the Sony email hack that happened years ago. And oh, I was wow. like, oh, okay, I guess it's really her. And she was just a fan of my work that she'd seen on Instagram. And so she asked me to contribute to Goop, which was really lovely and really supportive. And she was incredibly supportive of my career, especially in the early days. But the transition from food to everything really came out of the fact that I think food is a great entry point into the wellness world and to trying to live our best lives and feel like our best selves because we all have to eat every single day to stay alive. So right. it's kind of a low-hanging fruit in a way. It's a fruit that at least everybody has to consume regularly. And then I was like, there's so much more to this story. A key belief of mine is that everything is connected. It's one of the reasons that my podcast is designed the way that it is. We're talking about pros and cons of having kids. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about gut health. We're talking about longevity. We're talking about hormone health. And same with the book. It has 18 different sections that cover all different facets of one's life because it's all connected. And if you just address one thing, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not going to experience the results that you want. So our microbiome impacts our brain health, impacts our mental health. That's via the gut-brain axis. There's a ton of science there. Our mental health impacts the way that we show up in our relationships, the way that we show up at work. The way that we show up at work and the way that we show up in our relationships impacts our stress levels, which again, there's so much science that shows our stress levels impacts our microbiome. So again, addressing everything together is going to be how we get where we want because it's all connected in our bodies and in our minds. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what made you want to start writing your like lists of like, you know, when you turn a certain birthday, like things I've learned? So it's so birthdays are just such a reflective time. First of all, I love my birthday. I'm a Leo. I do like a birthday month. So I need something to fill, you know, the entire month of of, <laughs> of my energy. But I just think birthdays are a really reflective time. It feels like there's a tip in the book about something called the fresh start effect. And then that's the idea that at these fresh start moments in our lives, we essentially tell ourselves that we weren't the person that we we're no longer the person that we were before that moment. So at New Year's Eve, you're no longer the same person that you were last year. So all of those habits and goals and things you weren't able to stick to or things that you did that you didn't want to do, you're not the person who was mired in that world. And you can start over and have new habits, new goals, new experiences. And birthdays are such a potent self or they're such a potent fresh start effect. They're such a potent opportunity to say, that's who I was last year who do I want to be this year? And I think the list came out of a little bit of that reflection. It's such a good tool to take advantage of because if you have a habit or a goal or something that you want to do, 
that you're having a hard time sticking to, you can look for fresh starts in your life. You can do New Year's Eve. You can do a Monday. You can do working at a different cafe. You can do literally like listening to this podcast is a fresh start for people because they're no longer the person that they were before they listened to this podcast. Picking up the book is a fresh start because they're no longer the person that they were before they had that book. I love that. Yeah. Every day, every moment can be a fresh start. But birthdays are an especially good one, I think. Mm Because it's literally, you're like, I'm not the same person I was last year. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so much can happen in a year. It is wild. It is. So much can happen in a day. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. Going back to you and Zach and kind of how you have like almost broke up or ebbed and flowed. Is there anything like, is it usually communication related when you feel the ebb or is it like a long stretch of no intimacy? Is there anything specific? Because I know so many of our listeners go through those ebbs and flows as well. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is to normalize them. I think sometimes we feel like every single moment of a relationship needs to feel like the best thing ever because that's what we're portrayed in social media and in movies and in TV shows. And if we are not feeling that, if we're just like, I love my partner, but I don't particularly like them right now, we feel like something's wrong with us, something's wrong with our relationship. So it's very, very, very important to me to normalize these ebb periods. They come for so many different reasons. Sometimes it's just because our priorities are elsewhere. Sometimes it's a mental health thing. I've struggled with my anxiety for the entirety of our relationship. And I've had really extreme periods of anxiety where sex is the last thing on my mind, where honestly, I'm not taking care of him in any way as a partner because I'm not even really taking care of myself. So I think there can be a lot of reasons behind it, which is why the communication around it is so important. Because again, going to our very first thing we were talking about, your partner doesn't know what's going on in your mind. And we kind of, we don't, if you step back and you were like, do I expect my partner to be reading my mind right now? You'd be like, no. But then in the moment, you're like, well, can't they see that I'm feeling so sad? Mm. Can't they see that something's wrong? Shouldn't they be when you're like stomping around the house and like closing dishwasher hard? You're like, why aren't they asking me what's going on? And it's like, you need to tell them what's going on. And so that's been the thing that has gotten us through those moments. My husband is better at it than me. He Mm -hmm. comes from a very securely attached background. His parents are still married. I remember when I went out with his parents for one of the first times and we went back to his house afterwards and we were like drinking wine around the kitchen table and his dad casually pulled his mom's feet up into his lap and was like rubbing her feet while we were just sitting there. And I was like, what? (laughs) What is this casual intimacy? Because my, my parents got divorced when I was a baby and they didn't have successful relationships with their next marriages. I never witnessed casual intimacy in my house growing up. And it's been such an interesting thing to normalize for me. To normalize loving your partner is just, it's, it's been really, and being okay with expressing that has been a big journey for me. Yeah, that's definitely a journey. And on like that kind of same note, you know, I know you have a lot of episodes of debates and and like perspectives on people who have decided to be child free. And I know that you came to a decision recently based on an episode that you had of the pros and cons of having a kid. Tell us how you came to that decision. And like, if you could share a pro slash or con that really got to you. 
So the pros and the cons are obviously different for everybody, and it is such a complex topic. But the episode that you're referencing, I've done a whole series about the pros and cons of having kids. And it's so interesting because whenever I share it on social, I'll get comments from people who are like, you can never regret having a kid. You can only regret not having a kid. But then when I've opened my comments for anonymous submissions that I read out loud in these episodes, I hear from a lot of people who regret having their children and they just don't feel safe saying that out loud in a non-anonymous way. So it's been a really, I think it's a very fraught, very complex issue to explore. And my goal with this series was to provide a safe space, both for people who are parents, people who are child-free and people who are on the fence and don't know what decision they want to make, which was very much where I was when I started the series. The things that changed my mind was I did an episode with this therapist who specializes in helping people decide whether or not they want to have kids. And she is the most non-biased person I have ever interviewed in my life. The episode is the whole time. I'm just like, it is phenomenal how much you are able to hold space for every single side of the story here. But she said that if you are on the fence for some people having one kid can be a really nice sort of best of both worlds scenario. And some people on the fence should absolutely be child-free. And I definitely encourage people to listen to the whole episode because there's a lot of context there. And I, again, it's a tricky subject to navigate. But for some people, it can just be like, okay, I get the experience, but I'm not, this is not taking up that much. Obviously it takes up a lot, but it's not taking up as much time and energy and mental space as having two kids or three kids or four kids might So that really resonated with me when she said it. She also said, and again, I really want people to take context here, but she said that she thinks the ideal age to have a child is 38 years old. Mm. And I think that's significantly older than I had been told. Everybody who is listening, who's like, what about fertility? What about fertility? We talk about that in the episode. She is a fertility counselor as part of her training. It's definitely something that she factors in. But it 38 years old, you've been an adult for about 20 years. You've had your adult life for about 20 years at that point. And it feels, that resonated with me too. It was like, oh, that feels like a time I could begin to explore entering this new phase of my life. Right, yeah. That That permission giving was really helpful for me. It's also been interesting to see. I have friends who are child-free and I have friends who have children. And it's been nice to be able to be a little bit later in the game and get to see how they're going on their journeys. Have your friendships been affected by friends having kids since at this present moment you don't? Did you read the article in the cut? I did. Yeah. I, they have absolutely been affected. I think it would be a lie to say they haven't been impacted and it's not something that is obviously front of mind, but they haven't been impacted negatively, I wouldn't say. So it's things like, I expect that I'll be the flexible one when we're making plans. I'll come to you. I'll work around your schedule, things like that. I'm taking into mind considerations that I wouldn't before. But by and large, I love my friend's children. They're all super cute. They're all really fun. And I'm a curious person naturally. So I love also hearing about like the new phase that people are entering in their lives and the new problems they're running into and the new joys that they're having. So it's been, I think, really a net positive for me. Yeah, yeah. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode with Liz. Just telling you, making sure that you know that 
your life could be even better because Dipsy is a partner of ours on the podcast. And Dipsy has these amazing, short, sexy audio stories that are designed by women for women. If you don't know about Dipsy, you got to download the app. Like you must. Steven's been so stressed out with work recently. There hasn't been a lot of time, you know, that we're maybe we're in a flow, you know, ebbs and flows title of this episode. And what could be better than having Dipsy in his place? Because you don't just stop wanting to pleasure yourself when your partner's not around. No, it's called self-care. Let's check in with ourselves. When was the last time you self-cared? How is your relationship with yourself right now? Could it be better if you were using Dipsy? I bet the answer is yes. So if you haven't tried it, new content is released every week. So you can have a favorite story that you listen to again and again, or always find something new to explore. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with your partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Acme. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash Acme. dipsystories.com slash Acme. A friend of mine just had a baby like 15 days ago. And it feels like she is a totally different person. She's mm-hmm. like, there was like me before baby and me after baby. And that doesn't mean like she, you know, doesn't like that person or like the two are never going to meet again and yeah. be like one person. But she's like, it is such a weird thing. And and she's like, I, I'm so curious if like you're going to feel the same way. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea if I am. But like, there's also so many reasons that friendships change over time. And sometimes I feel like the focus on the baby thing does a disservice to all of the people out here who are really grappling with that decision. All of the mothers who are grappling with Am I losing all my friendships? Am I going to be lonely forever? All the child-free people who are grappling with, am I going to lose all my parent friends? Am I just going to be like over here lonely in my child-free world? When you were like, she's a completely different person, I'm like, I feel like I'm a completely different person than I was five years ago. Talk about the fresh start effect. People feel like they're completely different people when they move to new cities, when they start new jobs, when they go through a lot of therapy and have mental health breakthroughs. There's so many reasons for that. And there's so many reasons that friendships come together and grow apart over the years. And I think allowing space for that and allowing space for the fact that the transition to parenthood is a major, major, major life event. But without, I don't know, like the cut article, I didn't find that helpful because it made a lot of people who were already feeling lonely and scared and isolated feel those things more. Yeah, I agree with that. I I did say though on my podcast and I stand by this, like I don't care about someone's pregnancy unless I'm pregnant. I don't care like about someone's like, you know, how they're decorating their nursery and what they're packing to bring to the hospital to give birth unless I'm pregnant. And unless I'm like, before I did get pregnant, I did not care about any of that stuff. Like, do you care when you see that content? Have you heard that old adage that like boring people talk about other people like 
medium people talk yeah, about yeah, like yeah. their lives and like interesting people talk, talk about, about ideas. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. And I don't think that I like gossip to an extent. So I don't think boring people talk about other people. Like yeah. I don't think there's a ton of truth that, but I do think there's truth to talking about ideas being the most fulfilling type of conversation. And I think that we can fall into ruts where our conversations with our friends feel like reporting, like what's going on at work? What's going on at home? What's going on with your pregnancy? What's going on with your nursery? And in general, those are the least type of fulfilling conversations for me. I want to know what's going on in your life. Let's do that for a few minutes, but then let's move on to ideas and things that we're thinking about in the deepest corners of our brains. Those are the types of conversations that I generally like to have. So I think that's baby and pregnancy and all of that aside. Yeah. Yeah. That makes that makes sense. You need my conversation starter cards to have better conversations with your your nursery only <laughs> conversation friends. No, it's funny. Like I do have really interesting conversations with those friends. It's more like what I see on social media I'm not interested in. Like the influencer mommy blogger, let's say, unless Isn't that the I'm in the hard that thing about social media in general, though, that like just the sheer nature of having conversation have to fit into these sound bites. What complicated, nuanced ideas can you get into in 30 seconds? Right. No, it's, it's, it's my frustration with the plot. And I think in general, if people are feeling like their life feels a little flattened, a little shallow, or a little extreme, which is also what social media is designed to do, get off of it and have a conversation that is encapsulating an idea that takes longer than 30 seconds to express. Right. Like do some face to face. Okay. So now that you have maybe decided to have potentially one kid, I don't know if that was official, but yes, if somebody asked you, okay. So if somebody asked you, if they were like, Liz, why do you want to have kids? What's your answer? I want the life experience. And I've been called selfish for that. I've been told that the only reason to have a child is to selflessly devote yourself to that child. And I think there's certainly a responsibility, a huge responsibility that parents have to be selfless for their children. They've chosen to bring them into the world. The child did not ask for that. But, and I'm going to do that. But I want the life experience of being a parent. I know that people hate comparing parenting to pets but uh, the do you have pets? I do I have a cat that I'm borderline obsessed with I have a tattoo of her I just yeah and the way that my husband my cat and I feel like a little family unit has been very very satisfying to me and that's only grown in the last three years that we've been traveling around the country together and we've really had each other and I think also as somebody who did not come from a strong family unit or really any family unit. The idea of having a family unit feels like an experience that I haven't yet gotten to have in my life. I think that's fair. And I think it's also like fair to want to be like the family that you wanted to have for yourself in a way. I know it's also tricky though, because I don't want to put pressure on a child to fit into a dynamic that I want to create for us either. Like Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, I need to relive my childhood, whatever. And this, in this, I know it's going to be what it's going to be. And it's going to be really different than I expect. But I do think there's something really beautiful about getting to create your own family. And I think that inside and outside of having children too, I get a lot of flack for wanting to have one child. And I always say to that, that there are so many ways to create community in our lives that I don't need to create community from my uterus for my child. Yeah. And 
I think that I've been able to build a lot of family into my life. And I'm really proud of that in a lot of different ways. And I'm excited to continue to do that both via having a child and also really creating a beautiful communal life for that child. Also, like what you're deciding to do is never going to please everyone. Like if you were like, (laughs) I've been inspiring. (laughs) If you were like, I don't want kids, they'd be like, well, that's horrifying. And then if you're like, I want one, they're like, just one. Yeah. Like it's not. But it is wild to me. I have so many friends. I have a friend who has like a seven week old baby and people are already asking when the seven week old baby is getting a sibling. And I'm like, I think she was just cleared to even have sex and she doesn't want to have sex right Right. now, you know? So I'm just like, why do we care so much what's happening universally inside of other people's uteruses? Yeah. I mean, even beyond that, though, like I remember I saw a TikTok once that's like, you know, like, when are you going to call? Like, where are you going to go to college? And then you go to college and it's like, where like did you get a job yet like where's your job and then you get a job and it's like have you met anyone like when are you gonna get married and then you get like, and when then are you gonna we wonder why we never feel satisfied we've mm-hmm. we have a society that's set up in every possible way to make us feel dissatisfied because the second we're satisfied we can't purchase anything we don't need anything we don't need the media telling us what to do like satisfaction is the demise of a lot of the money-making structures of our society. So we're told messages all the time about why we shouldn't be satisfied. Yeah, and it's not even people's fault because they're just saying what they think that they should say. Sometimes they're just, it's just an awkward reaction because you're like, I don't know what to say to this person at this dinner party. So Bad. I'll be like- I was like, gonna say, I have a lot of empathy for how hard it is to even know what to talk to people about. And you know, these very- like top line facts about their lives. So that's what you're going to ask about. Yeah. But I will say like the one thing that people should stop asking about is what people do with their uterus and kids and just all of that. Like that, you know, and my husband and I went through fertility struggles and we went through IVF and I can't tell you how many people were like, when is the baby? Like, when are you going to have a baby? And it's like, we're fucking trying, but I'm not going to tell you this at a random dinner party. Also, don't you think it's weird that you by and large, would probably not go up to somebody at a dinner party and say, like, when was the last time you had sex? But you would say, are you trying for a baby? Which Mm -hmm. is the same question. So creepy. And it's like, why? Yeah, it's. I find it so interesting. There's a tip in the book about starting better conversations and being a sparkling conversationalist. And I think a really easy, good question. I have have a whole conversation, four conversation card decks. So conversations are like very important to me and I love them. And I think you can go really far just saying like, oh, I heard this great question on a podcast or I read in a conversation card deck and like asking that. But a good one, if you just want one to remember is what something that you've been really excited about recently. And that can be anything. It's super easy. It directs the conversation in a direction towards something people want to talk about and it will steer you away from subjects that are prickly for people. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of prickly subjects, though, (laughs) just going to get right into this one. Going off birth control, yeah, which you had talked about in your recent solo episode. And then you mentioned you were doing natural cycles and just like how has your experience been? I had a horrible experience going off birth control, but it sounds like yours was like not so bad. Well, I found out I had PCOS which was shitty. So like, you know, lost my hair, got acne, gained weight, like just was like, what's going on? But it's an experience that a lot of women have and, you know, things could always be worse. And I was able to get it in order and, you know, figure it out a little bit. But your experience, because, you know, everyone's always interested in people's going off birth control experience. It's like the new 
I, I wish I had something to compare it to, but it's just like what people want to hear about. Yeah. So what was yours like? So it's interesting that you say that about the PCOS, because I do think a lot of the negative experiences that people have when they go off birth control is because birth control was either masking or treating an underlying symptom, and that symptom is now coming through. So I would always encourage people to get their hormones tested, to work with a doctor who is aware of these types of things and can help people get to the bottom of these issues if they want to address these issues. I was lucky I didn't have that. I had my IUD for I think seven years. Like I I really was over the (laughs) when you were supposed to get it, take it out time. And I took it out and I was so nervous. And I was just like, how am I not going to get pregnant? How am I? I just there were so many fears in my head and it ended up being such a non-issue. And that was interesting to me. So I I feel so much empathy for people out there who have a lot of struggles, but I also kind of think it's important for people to hear from people who was completely fine with, like I got my IUD out, which thank God didn't hurt because getting it put in was the most painful thing I have experienced to date in my life. And then we started using natural cycles right away. I got an aura ring, which syncs with natural cycles now. Thank God it's so nice. You don't have to take your temperature, which was my number one issue with natural cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really a non-event. We use condoms on red days and we don't on green days. And I'm not pregnant yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. <laughs> that sounded so ominous. <laughs> I know. We'll see if you get pregnant. But uh, I do um I do think the birth control conversation is an interesting one because it it is it's been such a tool of empowerment in women's lives. It completely changed the place of women in society. And so I'm not a person who's unequivocally against birth control. And I really want to say that, but I am a person who believes that the next side of the empowerment story is for women to know what's happening with their bodies. And that includes knowing the impacts of what we put in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's been like a campaign against birth control. And as someone who should hate it, I actually don't hate it at all. And it's used to treat PCOS. Absolutely. Yeah. And some people have really wonderful, wonderful birth control stories and other people have more negative birth control stories. And again, it's about having the information to be empowered to make the right choices for you. For me, my biggest thing that probably changes, I'm way hornier now. I love that. Wait, you're giving me the best segues because I wanted to talk about your chapter, which is about taking your sex life to the next level. What is something that you wish people knew or talked about more when it comes to sex? talking about sex. I've gotten to interview so many sex therapists, sex experts, all of these people on my podcast. And the number one thing that people aren't doing when it comes to their sex lives is talking about it. I remember when I was younger, me and my friends would like go out for brunch after we had our hookups the night before whatever and be like, oh, he was so good and bad. He wasn't so good and bad. She was so good and bad. She wasn't so good and bad. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that there is no such thing as good and bad or bad in bed. There is being good and bad in the moment to each other. And we get there by communicating. There is no universality to the idea of being good and bad because what's good for one partner is not going to be good for the next partner. And what is good for one partner in one moment, one month, one week, one day might not be good for that partner the next month, the next week, the next day. We're always evolving. We're always changing. So the only way to get what we want is first to explore ourselves and to try new things and to put things on the table, on the menu so that we can begin to figure out what we want and then to communicate about those things with our partners. Yeah. Do you feel like 
you know, being with your partner now for 15 years, do you feel like you've been able to like keep that spark alive? And if you have, what's a tip that has helped? I think our sex is better now than it was 15 years, certainly 15 years ago, but then it's yeah. ever been just, we were, we were, I mean, we had, we were so attracted to each other from the get go and we would spend up, we would stay up all night, like being intimate and talking and all of these things. And it was wonderful. But now being able to not feel embarrassed when I say, oh, I'd love for you to touch me here. Or could we try putting this pillow here? Could we try this position? And those conversations, as simple as they sound, would have been so embarrassing to me when I was younger. And that was preventing me from experiencing the pleasure that I get to experience now. I also was having sex in a much more performative way when I was younger and eliminating that performative element of sex and instead saying, what makes me feel good? What makes him feel good? That's what we should be doing has been so freeing and so helpful for our sex life. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like it's hard to like stop the performance, you know, Mm. and focus on because you want like it's I feel like women more than men are thinking about what we look like during it. And so we know what like our angles are during sex, but that might not be the angle that's going to get us off. I think thinking about your death can be really helpful here. It's the third tip in the book, think about your death. And it sounds really morbid, but it's just such a helpful perspective shift for so many parts of our life from worrying about what your body looks like in a swimsuit at the beach versus enjoying being at the beach to worrying about what your body looks like during sex versus enjoying sex. When you're 85, 90, 100 years old, you're laying on your deathbed, are you going to be like, I wish my butt had looked a little bit rounder when I was making love. Yeah. Or are you going to be like, I want every dang orgasm that yeah. I could get my hands on. Yeah. That's also a good thing to keep in mind if you're doing the kids debate. It's like, think about your death. Who's around your deathbed? Is it no one? That's fine with you. Great. If it's someone. Is it a bunch of friends? Right. There's so many different scenarios there. And what will you've wanted the life the years in between, what will you have wanted those to look like? I think it can be a really helpful perspective shift. But I know for me, first of all, if you're naked, the person that you're having sex with is excited about it, like period. The idea of thinking about how our bodies look in bed, I just think is so, I have empathy for it. I understand it's a real thing and I don't want to diminish that real thing by saying it's silly, but it is so silly because if somebody is in bed with you, they like your naked body. Like they just do and they're not paying attention to a dimple here, a fold here, a stretch mark here. They're trying to experience pleasure because that's what you're there for. Yeah, facts. All right, we're going to do some rapid fire poll questions. These are really just like yes or no's or you'll see. I know. I heard them on your podcast Uh and I'm nervous, not about the poll questions, but about doing a short answer. (laughs) I I get that. Um, It's not my forte, if you can tell. Do you still go on family holidays? Yes or no? Yes. I love that. I will say, Mm -hmm. no, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, say it. Just say it. I do think that figuring out what boundaries make family time feel good to you is yeah. really important. I have yeah. friends who they'll go on family holidays, but they'll need their own house or something like that. And I think figuring out what makes it feel good to you is a critical part of it being an enjoyable experience. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, this is related to Real Housewives of New York. I don't know if you've been watching. The new season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed. I've never done Real Housewives before. And I think because it was like a fresh cast, yeah. it's like, oh, I can start now. And they feel more like me. They don't right. feel like my mom's friends uh-huh. in the same way. I'm obsessed. I love it so oh, much. Wow. Okay. Andy Cohen would be so happy. Would you be comfortable or weirded out if your significant other did mileage runs to Vietnam once a year? I see no problem with that except for the environmental perspective. That's my only right. issue with the miles accumulation. Right. But the plane's going anyway. Yeah, but the more tickets, you know, you're buying right, with your dollar. Right, like, right. not, I just did a podcast about climate change mm-hmm. and I was like, flying's okay, right? And she was like, it's actually one of the single worst things that yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> do you make the bed before you start your day every day? No, I almost never make the bed. What? Yeah. Wait, did you know that you're more likely to be a, mil- a millionaire if you make the bed every day? Statistically? I love to be an anomaly. <laughs> So, okay, can I, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to do this, but I think the reason for that is that most of, we get a lot of wins from the idea of momentum and making your bed is a really small win that can give you the momentum for other wins throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I have a tip in the book that's like objects in motion stay in motion, objects at rest stay yeah, at rest. Yeah, yeah. And making your bed is a really good way to get in motion. So I'm not a bed maker, but I do have other things that are giving me those small wins in the morning. And that's why I'm going to be really successful without the bed making. When you watch porn, if you do, Mm -hmm. do you watch for like, do you watch the storyline and dialogue or do you skip to the spicy shots? Oh, spicy. Same with like books. I'll be like skimming, skimming, skimming. Uh And I'm like, okay, let's get to the good stuff. I really want, if anybody's listening out there who writes novels, I would love a really well-written novel, like literary fiction style, but with significantly more sex scenes. Yeah, yeah, Like one a chapter. So basically literatic. Yeah, (laughs) please. If you found out that Zach got a rub and tug, would you break up with him? That's an interesting question because he wouldn't. I don't think I would break up with him. I would be like, that's an interesting choice that you made. Let's talk about where that came from. Yeah. You just started seeing a new guy, but he predominantly follows like Instagram models and thirst traps on Instagram. Should you take that as a sign that you need to run or are guys like that capable of not being fuckboys? I think they're capable of it. I would ask about it. I think, mm-hmm. again, I would. And if he couldn't have a conversation about why he's making that choice, I would view that as more of a red flag than the choice itself. Yeah. How often should your partner be getting you flowers once a month on occasion or a few times a year? As often as you want flowers. Mm. Is it rude or acceptable for your roommate to have a full on date night with her boyfriend one to two times a week taking over the kitchen and the living room? It depends on the person. I think if it were my roommate and she was like in the early stages of a relationship and I was in that like, you get it, girl phase, I would be excited for her about it. But if I if it was like it's been two years and you could do it at his house, like there's no consideration for me, I'd be annoyed. I'm very much like if you have a roommate, you have a roommate. And like if you didn't want a roommate, you would have to not get a roommate. But then it's like can I use the kitchen to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is she getting mad days. at me? Right, right, right. If I'm, It'd have to be equal, I guess. Yeah. Do you feel emotionally intimate with your partner? Yeah. Oh, he's, yes, very. 
If a guy jokingly made fun of the noises you made during a hookup, would that be a red flag, a deal breaker or no big deal? I would ask him where the joke is coming from, like what he thinks is funny about that. I love doing that when people ask jokes I don't like. I'm like, what What do you think was funny about that? Yeah, And yeah. just kind of like waiting for them to kind of stumble back on their words. Right. I'm always, satisfied. Like, I'm always like, you know that if you have to explain something's a joke, it's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> it's not worth it. Do you think your partner has a strong paternal instinct? Yes, he's he's the caretaker in our family as it stands. I love that. He keeps our cat alive. <laughs> and me, honestly. Okay, this is like very niche. You have a reusable water bottle that you don't like to drink out of when you're eating. Is it justified that you get annoyed when your husband tries to drink from it when he's eating? What? <laughs> Why don't you like to drink out of the reusable? I don't know. I, You know, I can't tap into that mindset, but I, I would say that is, I think anything is justifiable from an annoyance perspective, but you should ask yourself where it's coming from and yeah. communicate it with your partner, not to be boring. Yeah, no, I agree. Do you expect or do you share 100% of finances with your partner? I do. And we did way too early because mm. we just be both kept going through periods where like one of us had money and the other one didn't and then vice versa. So we did way earlier than I would recommend. But we mm -hmm. do now. I would recommend in general sharing if you'd like to share, but then also having separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we don't do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last one. They don't follow etiquette when deplaning. Red flag, deal breaker, no big deal. Oh, I would just explain. I think plain etiquette is very tricky and not everybody has their head around it. And so I'd be like, okay, here's why this needs to go the way that it goes. And <laughs> yeah. here's why like you standing up isn't going to like get you off the plane right, any right. faster. Yeah, I asked that and then someone DM me and they were like, oh my God, is this like a post-sex thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't deplane post-sex. I mean, maybe you do. My that sounds Captain. like a, exactly a great flight. I love it. Um, Liz, can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice? Yeah, take. I will leave you with the my life mantra, which is never be the one to say no to yourself. I think that applies in so many scenarios in life. If, since we're having a sex conversation here, I will say, you know, consent is also very, very important. But if you want to try something in the bedroom, don't say no to yourself in terms of bringing that up with your partner. If you're wondering if something would be interesting or exciting or even something you would enjoy at all. Like don't say no to yourself in terms of bringing up with your partner. But since I've shared that on social media, I've gotten so many messages from people who have gotten jobs they didn't think they were qualified for, have gotten raises, who have asked out people that they thought would for sure say no. So I love it as a mantra because while the world might sometimes still say no to us, it shows that we believe in ourselves and we're gonna always be our own biggest cheerleader. I love that. Where can everybody follow you, find your book, order it, all the things? Yeah, I'm Liz Moody on Instagram and on TikTok. I'm the Liz Moody podcast. We share episodes ranging of all topics to help you live your best life. And then the book is 100 Ways to Change Your Life. It's got little short, like two page chapters and you'll get the science and then you get an action tip to apply that science and change your life today. And you can get that on 100waystochangeyourlife.com. Well, thank you. Thank you.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.